0: And now we're going to start in Hebrews 12, two more chapters, and then we are done with the book of Hebrews. Amen? Amen. Such a powerful passage this morning from the author of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Here is what the author of Hebrews said. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's do two things. That's what he's saying. Number one let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that is so easily entangles and let us run with endurance the race that is marked out for us amen mm-hmm. Two, how you do that fixing our eyes on jesus the author the pioneer and the Perfector, the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross scorning the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of god consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart amen Amen. verse three can we say that all out loud and try to memorize it here look at the last part if you don't want to grow weary and lose heart what is the antidote for that what's the answer to that Consider. consider him amen so let's say that verse three out loud because i want you to memorize it So Kezia doesn't come here and quote it for you guys next time. Amen. All right. Verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. We have been again 16 weeks in Hebrews 11. And what was the point of Hebrews 11? Anybody knows? Faith. Faith, Faith, right that just shall live by faith, right? We have seen that throughout Hebrews 11, the author of Hebrews pretty much went through the Old Testament, all the way from Abel, the son of Adam, all the way till he. Uh, last week, he just named all the prophets and all the people who lived their lives by faith throughout the Old Testament. Now in chapter 11, he's trying to drive the application for his readers. What does that mean to them? What they should do and respond to the Old Testament Saints living their lives by faith so he started by the word therefore since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses what is the first word therefore, therefore. we talked about this word before what does it mean it means that what's gonna follow that word is a result of what preceded that word right Right? So therefore is linking now chapter 12 with chapter 11 and saying that the way you act that I'm going to tell you right now in chapter 12 is the results of what we just discussed in chapter 11. Having said that, that word in Greek therefore is extremely unique. It's not your regular therefore throughout the, the, the New Testament. As a matter of fact, this word was mentioned twice only in the New Testament here and in First Thessalonians uh, 4.8. It literally means consequently. So the idea here is it's, it's the word therefore, but it is very intensified. It is just so strong. So the idea here is the author of Hebrews is linking so strongly what he's gonna say now to what he has been telling us for the last 16 weeks, that the link between these two things is just so strong, the author of Hebrews is trying to say. And he's saying this, that we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. What is this cloud of witnesses that he's talking about? All the people that he has mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. All the saints of the Old Testament. Obviously, the word cloud is metaphor, right? He's not literally surrounded, the Hebrews at that time, not literally surrounded by cloud. But it's a metaphor of two things. How many were the saints of the Old Testament who lived their lives by faith? And not only that, but how unified they were. were, And that faith was the common thread among all the saints of the Old Testament. Amen? And he calls it cloud of witnesses. And the Greek word for witnesses here is this, it's a um, martyron, martyron. It comes from the word martos. Does, does that ring a bell to any of us? No. Martos. It comes from the word martyr, somebody who actually died for the sake of their cause, a martyr. And the idea here is that the author of Hebrews is so strongly linking the idea of martyrdom with the idea of witnessing you guys are with me so the idea of being a witness is not just to be passively witness you just passively waiting and when somebody comes to you and say hey what do you think about this or what did you see about this and then you start telling them what you have witnessed no it's an active action of witness so much so that people who witness are willing to risk down, lay down their lives for the sake of what they are trying to witness to amen So he's saying, because we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us do two things. He's encouraging them for these two actions. Number one, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that is so easily entangled, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked for us. Now, isn't that such an interesting phrase, the last part? How the author of Hebrews is describing your Christian faith your christian life and my christian life how does he describe it here the race that is marked for out for us the race that is appointed for us you guys are with me your christian life if anything it is a race something you have to do and it requires a lot of work you guys are with me and that kind of like rings a bell what Paul told us also. He also said that the Christian life is like a race. In First Corinthians nine thirty four, he said, Know ye not that they which run in the race uh, run in a race run all but one receives the prize therefore so run that you might obtain so he's telling them that Paul here is telling the Corinthians just like runners in the race they all run but only one obtain the prize in the same manner you all should run your Christian walk and your Christian journey you guys are with me Christian walk is not easy breathing it's not you come to church and you just go live your middle-class suburban life and hey i'm a christian this is what christianity is about christianity is a race that is marked for us following jesus is a race that requires you to endure that requires you to put effort into it amen it is the race that is already marked aside for you and for me and look at this he said let us run with perseverance or let us run with the endurance this is not like when you go for a, for a run for like raising funds for cancer or Alzheimer or something like that and everybody run but no matter who wins you guys are with me yeah. this is not just hey just we're running for fundraising for Alzheimer's disease this is not The kind of race that the author of Hebrews is talking about. He's talking about race that you run with perseverance. Race that you run with endurance. I just love how William Lane put it. He said, identifying the race not as a context that identifies the race. Not as a context of speed, but that of stamina. You guys are with me? This is a race that requires you not just to work hard one day, but you work hard all the time, that you run that race with that endurance. Now he's saying this, while you run that race with endurance, you need to do two things. You need to, to lay aside, to put aside two things. Number one, every excess of weight that is around us. And number two, every sin that is easily entangles us. So two things here, the author of Hebrews is saying, While you're running that race, you need to put them aside. Number one, the excess weight. And number two, the sin that easily entangles us. The idea here, when the author of Hebrews said, excess weight, lay that aside, is that if you have ever, have you ever seen a runner, somebody who's running a race in a rope, Have you ever seen that? Somebody running a race in a rope, wearing that long, gigantic, massive uh, 20-feet rope, and they're trying to run a race in that rope, right? It doesn't work this way. If you wear heavy clothes, then that clothes will actually hold you back from running that race. When you run the race, you need to be free from everything as much as possible. Wear shorts and just think tap or something small, so you can run as freely as you can possibly do that, Right? And the author of Hebrews here is referring to that. He's saying when we run that Christian race after Christ, you need to be free from all sorts of excess weight, any sort of clothes, any sort of um, body weight, or anything like that, that can hold you back from running that race effectively. Amen? In contrast to what follows when he said, and the sin that entangles us easily, it doesn't appear like that excess weight is actually something might be sinful. But it, nevertheless, it is very distracting and something that will hold us back from fully running that race. You guys are with me? So it might be a reference to some of the desires that we might have that is not necessarily sinful. Nevertheless, it will hold us back from following Christ fullheartedly. Amen? Amen. This is not about your needs. This is more about your wants that might not necessarily be sinful. Nevertheless, pursuing these wants will be an excess weight that will hold you back from running full hearted after Christ. Think about it this way. If you have a nice house or a nice car, and then you see another car that is much nicer, or another house that is much nicer, and you decide that you're going to go work overtime so you can uh, save this money, so you're going to buy that nicer car or that nicer house. Is there anything simple in that? Not necessarily. You're not doing anything wrong, right? You're earning money. You're using that money to buy a nicer house or a nicer car or something better. Having said that, if the fact that you're going to go out and try to work all over time will hold you back from coming to church or even you can use this money even more wisely to impact the kingdom of God, in an essence, these wants, even though they're not sinful, yet they kind of excess weight that can hold you back from running after the heart of God. Fall, Amen? So excess weight here can be a reference to things that is not sinful yet can hold you back from following after God. But not only this excess weight that the author of Hebrews say, put it aside, but you also say, lay aside sin that entangles us very easily. Amen? It's not here referring to a specific sin, like lying or cheating, it's just sin in general, the life of sin, and that's what he says, sin is entangles us very easily. Now I don't know about you, but have you ever seen a runner who's trying to accomplish a race and then he get distracted by all sorts of flashy things, he's running this way and then he sees, oh what is that, and he start looking around or he sees like there is something and he start entangling his body in that one thing that he sees and then he's like, man why I'm not accomplishing much, right because he's entangling himself with things that he should not be messing with you guys are with me and these things are holding him back from accomplishing the race that is already marked out for him or her amen and that's what the author of Hebrews is saying here. He's saying, since, since we have such a cloud of witnesses, each one of them ran that race, and each one of them lived their lives by faith, let us do the exact same thing. Let us run the race that is, sin, that is marked out for us, and let us not worry about the things that even might not be sinful, yet it will hold us back from following full-hearted after Jesus, and surely lay aside sin that can easily entangle us and hold us back from running after the heart of God. Amen? How do you do that? You do that fixing your eyes upon Jesus. That's what he said after that. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. Remember back in Hebrews 6, verse 19 to verse 20. The author of Hebrews said this about Jesus. He said, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. That's heaven. That's the presence of God, right? Where, what's happening in heaven, our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. And he has become a high priest forever on the order of Melchizedek. Remember that part? What the author of Hebrews was telling us back then in Hebrews chapter 6 is Jesus is our forerunner. He's the one who who is the most swift runner who finished the race already and he has entered already into the presence of God behind the curtain. You guys are with me. Now the author of Hebrews is saying this, not just Jesus that was a runner, but you and me also are runners. Jesus is different because he is the forerunner. He's the first one who made it, who entered Entered into heaven and because Jesus is the number one who ran that race let's all run behind him fixing our eyes on our forerunner amen It's like the captain of the army and he's marching in and he's saying let's all follow him and not be distracted by anything else but hundred percent put our focus on our forerunner Jesus who already has entered and has finished that race Amen? Amen. He is our forerunner and we need to focus on him. Just like he finished the race and entered into heaven, we need to do the exact same thing. And isn't that just interesting? The author of Hebrews just finished telling us about all the Old Testament cloud of witnesses, right? Remember Enoch that he talked about who was so close to God, who walked with God all his life, so much so that God decided just to take him into heaven and he didn't even have to die? Remember Abraham who passed the ultimate test of faith when he offered up his son Isaac when God asked him for that? Remember Moses who was in line to be the man in command of the whole land of Egypt, the greatest country in the world of that time? Yet Moses counted the riches of Egypt to be trash? And he considered that the the, the shame of Christ is far much richer than that of Egypt. Remember all these cloud of witnesses? Yet the author of Hebrews, when it came to Hebrews chapter 12, he did not say, fix your eyes on Enoch who walked with God. And he did not say, fix your eyes on Abraham who passed that ultimate test of faith. You guys are with me? And he did not say, fix your eyes on Moses who made the ultimate career sacrifice. Even though that would have been good examples, yet he did not say to fix our eyes in any of these people. But he said, fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus." He's the author and he's the finisher of our faith. And that's what we need to do. Amen? It's good to have the fellowship of the brothers and we're here to encourage one another and help one another. But I'm telling you right now, if you're going to fix your eyes on me, I'm telling you right now, you're going to be disappointed. I'm telling you right now. So don't act shocked when you are. Amen? Amen. You will be disappointed. I'm trying to do the right things. But guess what? I fail a lot. Amen. So don't fix your eyes on me. Don't say I want to be having a heart for the lost like Pastor Cammy. No, no. Have a heart for the lost like Jesus. Amen. Amen. Don't say I want to walk my Christian life the, the same way Pastor Cammy or, or Pastor Conley or any other one of these great men of God is doing it. Don't look at all of that. Just fix uh, your eyes on uh, Jesus, I want to walk my life the way Jesus walked his life. Amen. Doesn't that remind us of what Peter did when he was in the boat and there was that that storm and the disciples were about to perish and Jesus came walking on water. And then Peter saw him and thought that he was a ghost. But he said, if you Jesus just command me to come to you. And what did Jesus say? Say, come. Peter comes out of the water. He has his eyes fixed on Jesus. What does he do? He walks on water, and then when he looked to see that the wind is strong and the waves are strong, he starts sinking. Now, I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to look at two things at the same time, right? The reason why Paul Peter starts sinking is that he took his eyes off Jesus and start looking on the things around him. And what happened in result of that? He starts sinking. And think about that. The the Hebrews that the author of Hebrews is talking to were going through the exact same situation. They're being persecuted. They're losing their properties. They're facing so much heartache, so much so, that they are even considering abandoning Christianity and go back to Judaism, right? That's the whole context. And what does the author of Hebrews tell them? Fix your eyes on the jesus because if you're gonna look at the circumstances if you're gonna look at the persecution if you're gonna look at the pain if you're gonna look at what the enemy is throwing your way you surely gonna sink like Peter saying you guys are with me but if you just focus on jesus and fix your eyes on him that is the only way you actually gonna make it amen? amen in 1992 this amazing hymn written by helen Lemel, and it The amazing lyrics that we only know look at this this is what she said oh soul are you weary and troubled no light in the darkness to see there is light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free isn't that so true don't we so all of us in so many ways get to that point that we're weary and troubled and all that we see is just darkness right but Um, Helen Lammel said here if you are in that place just look on the face of Jesus and then she said so turn your eyes upon Jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace fix your eyes upon Jesus and it is not just the persecutions and the pain and the sickness and the diseases that we're going through or the lacks that we have the financial lacks that will go strangely dim when we look and fix upon Jesus but even the distractions of the world the things the good things that the world that is offering us the nicer cars the nicer house the better life that the world can offer us all this stuff will grow dim when you focus your eyes upon Jesus Amen? So today, here is your answer. If you are, things are not going your way the way you want it. If you're struggling with sickness, when you don't see healing inside, guess what? The author of Hebrews didn't say, fix your eyes upon your healing. Did he say that? Yeah. If you're in lack and you need some money to get over a tight financial situation, the author of Hebrews didn't say, fix your eyes upon your job. Right? He said, fix your eyes on Jesus regardless of what the situation is fix your eyes upon Jesus even if you're being distracted by sin and the wants of life that might not be necessarily simple the only reason all these things will fade away is when you fix your eyes upon Jesus amen that's how we need to live our lives if we are ever gonna make it in that race we need to fix our eyes upon Jesus but why why not fix our eyes on abraham or moses or or jacob or any of these great people you know why because all these people might have been great examples of the faith but jesus is not just a great example of the faith or the greatest example of the faith jesus as a matter of fact is the author and the finisher of the faith amen the word author and finisher beginning and the end greek word for both these words the root the root not the word but the root of these two words has been used combined a couple of times before in the book of hebrews it was used in chapter 3 verse 14 when it says remain if you stick and remain faithful from the beginning to the end the word beginning and end has the exact same root like author and finisher it was also used in hebrews 7 3 the roots when it described melchizedek the high priest and it says that he um he has no father for, he has no entrance from the beginning of day to the end of his life beginning and end so that is the exact same root of the word that the author of hebrews used here to describe who jesus is he's the beginning and the end of our faith he's the origin and he is the completion he's the start and he is the finish he is the head of that faith and the one who brought that faith into ultimate perfection Amen All the Old Testament saints, as great as they are, every single one of them was marred with sick, with sick, with sin and with weakness, right? Remember Abraham, the greatest man of faith, he doubted God, right? Remember Moses, he killed the Egyptian and the, he didn't even enter into the land of the promise because he disobeyed God. Amen. Enoch who walked with God and he entered into heaven, Remember that he started walking with God at about 300 years old after he had his first son. Remember all of that? So for the first 300 years, it doesn't appear that Enoch was walking with God. Every single one of the saints of the Old Testament, every single believer, born again Christian even, while they trying to be examples of faith, they all marred by weakness and by sin. Except one. Except one. And his name is... Jesus. Jesus' obedience to God, Jesus' faith and trust in God was not marred by weakness, was not marred by sin. He did the ultimate sacrifice out of faith and trust in God. He prayed in the garden and he said, Father, if, if, if you just can pass this cup, that, that would be great because I really don't want to go through the cross. But if not, my will, let your will be done and out of faith and trust in god jesus went through the ultimate suffering so who can bring about the ultimate fulfillment of god's salvation fixing your eyes on jesus the author and the finisher of your faith why here is the example of jesus what did jesus do for the joy that was set before him for the joy that was set before him. He endured the, Christ, the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Now, the Greek word, the Greek preposition here, for that joy, can actually have either meaning of in a state of that joy or for that joy. Either one is possible. So the idea could be is that instead of the joy that was before him, which is to enjoy the privileges of being God's co-equal in heaven, instead of that joy, he chose the cross and he despised the shame. That's one way of understanding it. However, the most commentators, most Bible translators, they all kind of have the senses that this is not instead of the joy, but it is for the joy that was set before him. What is that joy? that was said before Jesus that made him to choose to endure the cross it is your salvation and my salvation amen the fact that you and i will end up with heaven with him in heaven one day that was the joy that was said before him amen just like the, good, the shepherd that Jesus said who who would leave the 99 and go after the last sheep. And once we find the last sheep, what would the, the shepherd do? He rejoices. He's happy because he has found his last sheep, right? That is the kind of joy that was said before Jesus. Now let's put that in perspective. In in, in Revelation 5, 11 and 12, we see a glimpse of the, the, the life that Jesus lived. The way he was before he came down to earth. And here is what we read about him in Revelation, Revelation 5.11. It says this, here's what John said, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creature and the elders in a loud voice, They saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Now, this is how Jesus was before he became a human being like you and me. Numerable, millions of millions of angels are just crying out his praise all the time. In the midst of all of this, Jesus said, you know what? I like all of this. This is all good, but this is not really bringing me joy because Barb is not a believer and sin is getting hold of her and she gonna ultimately perish unless I come down and save her from, from sin and what sin can do. Because Cammy is not a believer and he's gonna die and perish one day if I don't come down and pay for his sin. All of that glory and praise and honor that Jesus was receiving was not what brought him joy. So much so that he chose to come down to go to the cross for your sake and my sake. He laid all his prerogative as God's co-equal aside and came down as a human being, was obedient to God even to the point of death, the death of the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him. Don't you ever dare question Jesus' love for you. Amen? Amen. Who, for the joy that was set before Him, what did He do? He endured the cross, He despised the shame, and He, after all of that, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, at the right hand of the throne of God on high. He endured the cross. Amen? Let's turn back to Hebrews 12, 1-3. How many times the word endured or endurance was mentioned in these three verses? Let's look through it together. Hebrews 12, 1, to 3. The first one, and let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that entangles us easily. And uh, let us run with that. Endurance. That's the first time the word endured was mentioned. Fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who was before, because of the joy that was set before him, he did what? He endured. That's the second time the word endured was mentioned. And then it says, he scorned the shame, he sat down at the right of hand of majesty. Consider him who, what? Endured such opposition from sinners. Three times that the author of Hebrews used the exact same word applies it twice to Jesus and once to you and me. You guys are with me? What the author of Hebrews is saying in this, yes, the race that is set before us demand endurance, but guess what? Jesus already ran that race with endurance, and if you fix your eyes on Him, He's not asking you to, to do something He never did. He actually did it, even far much greater than what He's expecting from you, and if you just fix, eye, fix your eyes on Him who endured, you also will endure. Amen? fixing our eyes on Jesus, who was because of the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. The idea here again is that Jesus went through the suffering of the cross, and He endured all of that because He ultimately has His eyes set on the joy that was set before Him. You guys are with me? And the author of Hebrews is saying this just the same way Jesus did it, He's talking to the Hebrews who are being persecuted, who are being suffering and He say, do the exact same thing. Look into the ultimate reward. Look into the ultimate fulfillment of the promises of God. This is what Jesus did. He looked at the eternal joy of seeing millions and even billions of people with him in heaven and because of that eternal joy he endured the cross that was absolutely awful and in the same manner he's saying you also look at the eternal reward the eternal presence of God that we're going to enjoy for all eternity and when you focus on the ultimate reward like Jesus you also be able to endure endure that such opposition from sinners you know who endured such opposition from sinners other than Jesus? The Hebrews. The people that the author of Hebrews is talking to. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Hebrews 10:32 to 33. He's telling them this is what they have done. Remember those early days after you have received the light when you endured in great conflict full of a great conflict full of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, at other times you stood aside, you stood side by side with those who were so treated, you suffered along with those who in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourself had better and lasting positions, right? Who endured persecutions from the hands of sinners other than Jesus? The Hebrews. The people that the author of Hebrews is talking to. And he's telling them, remember, when you are being oppressed and enduring persecution in the hand of sinners, you're not the first one who's going through this. Jesus has already endured such a position from also sinners the same way you are enduring a position. Amen? Amen? So fix your eyes upon him. He's never going to ask you to do something that he has not done done before. Remember he said this in chapter 2 that we have a high priest who is tempted in in how many ways? In all ways like you and me except the fact that he did not sin. Right? Jesus has been through with all. Jesus has been through with all and he endured and he entered into the very presence of God for our behavior and if you just focus on our forerunner then we're also going to make it. Amen? And then he says this, Consider him. Let's say verse 3 together out loud one last time. Consider him who endured such oppositions from sinners so that you may not grow weary and lose heart the word consider that the author of hebrews used here is is not just like oh consider you know consider applying for this job it's not like that it's more like you sit down and you do calculations you do comparisons and you try to compare which one is the better option and then you ultimately choose which one that has more pros than cons and what the author of hebrews is telling them here is this always consider jesus every time that you face persecution do that you persecution in comparison of the persecution that Jesus endured. And you're going to find out every time that the persecution that Jesus endured is still far much worse than the ones you have endured. Amen. And when you know that Jesus has gone even through worse, and He's the author and the finisher of your faith, He is the forerunner and you keep focusing on Him, then you also will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. Not because it is easy, but because you are considering Jesus. Amen? Amen? So how do you not lose heart and not grow weary? By doing it in your own might and your own strength, right? That's what the scripture says, right? By toughing it up and just go through it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't work. You will never be able to do it in your strength. The only way you can actually make it is to consider Him. Consider Him. Is that too hard to remember these two words? Consider Him, right? Remember, memorize them. And every time that Satan throws lies in your mind or your heart, do this. Consider Him. Consider him who endured such oppositions from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen? Can we close our eyes and pray?